Well, uh, I want to share a little story with you that I heard not too long ago um, of a woman, right? This, this was a middle-aged woman, and she took uh, a math class. She decided one day to take a math class at a local community college. She took it for four years straight, though, same class, over and over. Every semester, every term, she took the same math class over and over. So the dean of the college came to her one day and said, hey, I, I got a question, right? I'm thankful for the way that you're supporting the school because you keep giving us tuition money. That's awesome. But I got to know, why do you keep doing this? Like, what, what's the deal here, right? Her response was interesting because I think it resonates maybe with some of what we've experienced recently, right? She said, I was so sick of arguing with my neighbors about everything in the world that I wanted to study something for a moment that I knew was always going to give me truth. She was looking for something that kept her from having to argue about everything with everybody. Now, I'll tell you, if there was ever a week in our lives where it felt like maybe we want to do something the same, it's the one we've just lived through, right? Argument after argument, right? These, these, news, these news stories that are breaking by the minute, new headlines that are changing every single second, right? People trying to make the first and earliest prediction about who won what race and what state by what margin, all of this over and over. People arguing about voting methods and, and, and turnout and people arguing about how to count things, right? It seems like this is just stirring up in all of us these, this longing. And I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest with you for a second, this has left me this week longing for something I can hold on to. It's left me longing for something that I can cling to that's not gonna change in the next hour. Now, if I'm being really honest, <laughs> I've been tempted to act like my hope is not in Jesus. I've been tempted to boast because of the outcome of some of these races. I've been tempted to despair because of the outcome of some of these races. But I have been reminded by the Spirit of God over and over this week that I have a longing in me for something that this world cannot give me. Something that I can hold on to, that can stand the test of time. They, listen, that can stand the test of 2020. What is that? It's truth. It's Jesus. And we're left longing. We're left longing for this. You know, this morning we're turning the page from 1 John to 2 John. You know, we're working through these letters that John wrote. And as we do, you know, we're gonna see some similarities, right? It's the same guy that wrote it. There's bound to be some similarities in him, okay? okay? But there's a stark contrast I wanna point out real quick. This is way shorter, all right, than the book of 1 John. The letter for 2 John is actually one chapter, 13 verses, rather than five chapters and a hundred and some verses, right? It's a very, very different experience that we're about to walk through here all in one day, working through the whole book of 2 John, just one chapter, right? As we work through it, we're gonna see some of those differences. 2 John is actually the second shortest book in the Bible. How about that, right? The shortest book in the Bible we're preaching on next week, all right? Another little teaser. Come for the commissioning and for the shortest book in the Bible, all right? All of that. Be back next week, all right? Shameless plug, all right? But, but this, this short letter is packed full of things, right? This letter, it's, it's very, very short, but it is very, very strong, right? Kind of like Kanye's run for presidency. You see, you can't joke about Biden or Trump, but you can still joke about Kanye a little bit, I think, right? That's safe. It's short, it's strong. And at the heart of this letter, what you find at the heart of the writer, John, is a deep love, a deep, deep love. 
And then at the heart of the letter itself, we find an emphasis on truth. We find love, we find truth in this letter. And so as we look at it this morning, I want us to, to point out a couple things. And, and, and the primary things are this, is that we need to walk in truth and watch for lies. We need to walk in truth and watch for lies. Let's, let's begin looking at the verses together here. We're gonna begin in the beginning of it. Makes sense, right? We're gonna start with, with verse one. And it says this. The letter begins with the words, the elder, right? The elder. Well, here's the deal. John references himself right here as the elder because it's a right and appropriate name. It's a right and appropriate title for himself. But he also does it because those that he's writing to, who we'll talk about in a second, they would resonate with this because they view John as the elder, right? John was most likely the last living apostle at this time. And so he had this clout about him, sort of like a, the last known survivor of a war or a disaster, right? They carry with them this, 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 ex, this uh, expertise to a degree, or at least this appreciation over their experience. And so having seen and known and walked with and closely and seen all the stuff that Jesus had done, he had this uh, clout about him, right? He was appreciated and respected. And so he's referred to here as the elder, but then he says who he's writing to. He says he's writing to the elect lady and her children, right? At first glance, you may go, who is this woman? And how many kids does she have, right? But here's the deal. There's different ideas on this, right? There's some lesser known ones about it. But the most prominent understanding of this is that John is actually writing to a local church. The feminine identity is given to the church all through the New Testament, right? That's why the, the church, the big C church, the universal church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and so here, what we see is a smaller local expression of that that he's writing to. He's writing to a local church, right? A, a local church. And we see this show up again toward the end of the letter. The last verse of the letter, John says that, hey, your, your elect sister, she sends greetings. It's another local church that she's, he's saying, and they miss you too. They love you. They wanna express their greetings to you. So he's, he's writing to a local church. John is writing to a local church. And then this is what he says to them first. He says, whom I love in the truth. Whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Verse two, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. John says, I love you. I love you. He expresses his love for them. Right? John's writing to this local church and he has this love, this deep love for them. And he uses the word us in here. And then in verse three as well, several times that I think shows us, he's sort of writing himself into this family. He sees himself as one of them. He loves them so deeply, he actually considers himself like them or with them in a metaphorical sense. So he actually loves these people deeply. But listen to this. It says that he loves them because of the truth that abides in them. He loves them because the truth of God dwells in them and will be with us forever. The truth of God lives in them and continues to live in them and it's expressing itself and they are recognized and celebrated because of their love for God and their obedience to his word. These are the people that he's writing to. This is why he's writing to them. And then in verse three, he says this. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Us, again, right? Writing himself into the letter. From God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, and in truth and love. 
You see, John is not writing here saying, grace, mercy, and peace would God bestow upon you. He's saying that God has expressed to you. He's affirming the ongoing work of God in them. He's not saying, man, I sure hope God shows his grace, mercy, and peace to you guys. No, he's saying, I want to affirm that the grace and mercy and the peace of God is at work within you already. I want to affirm that. You see, in this, what we're seeing is John's deep love and affection for his friends, this family of his out of town, this other local church that he loves dearly. It's expressed again at the end in verse 12 and 13, where we find the conclusion of this letter. He says that, man, I I really, ultimately, I wish I could actually be with you. I wish I wasn't having to write these things to you. I wish I could be with you face to face. Literally translated would be, could mean mouth to mouth. We're gonna stick with face to face, all right? He says, I wanna be with you. I desire to be with you. I love you deeply. And so you see this strong affirmation. This letter is filled with so much love for his friends, for his family in this other local church. And then what does he do? But in the body of the letter, he highlights the centrality of truth, both for his love for them, their love for one another, and their expression of their love for God in the world. He says that there is a centrality to truth. You need it for your sanity. You need it for your salvation. You need it for your security. You need truth, he says. And specifically, he says that you ought to walk in truth and watch for lies. Walk in truth and watch for lies. So let's look at these verses here, beginning in verse four. He says this. It's the first part of the letter, right? Where he's emphasizing this idea of walking in truth. He says, I rejoice greatly, greatly. This wasn't like, oh, cool. No, he's like, yeah, he's excited. He rejoiced greatly, he says, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, dear lady, right, this local church that he's writing to, not as though I were writing you a new commandment. This isn't anything new. But the one that we have had from the beginning, from the time when they were saved, that we love one another. And this is love, that we would walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You know, the context suggests here that, uh, that, that what's happening is that John has either received a good report from sort of a third party that he's crossed paths with, or he's actually literally crossed paths with some of the people from this church. And he's gotten this good report about them walking in truth. And here he says, I greatly rejoice. I rejoice greatly because of the news I have received, right? So parents in the room, right? Parents online, listen to me for a second. You've been there, hopefully, I would imagine at some point. Right, even if all you've done is birth the kid at this point, all right? You've been excited. You've had this proud parent moment where you wanna share with the world about it. I know when I was growing up, it took the form of a bumper sticker. Now it takes the form of these like finely crafted posts that are like perfectly lighted picture, lit, lit pictures, lighted's not a word, lit pictures, right? But not lit in the bad sense or whatever, because I think that's a word in our culture too, right? You know what I mean, right? People wanna have the perfect picture. And so they post about it, right? Everything from the kids' first bowel movement to the kids' first ball game to the kids' first bike ride to on and on and on and on, on, right? We have these proud parent moments. Well, this is what John's doing here. He's having this proud dad moment. 
these people that he loves dearly. He's found out that they're walking in truth and he can't wait to celebrate, right? Now, my kids, I've got four of them between the ages of two and 12. Sometimes I wanna fast forward 20 years to where they're 22 to 32, okay? Because I don't want them to have to live through all of this junk as kids. I don't want them to have to. I can't do that. So I know along the way, as I get these little glimpses of joy and good reports of God working in their lives in a different way, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna celebrate that. I'm gonna celebrate that. This is what John's doing. He's heard this good report, what God's doing in their lives and what they're doing in their lives by being faithful to walk in the truth. And he celebrates it. He celebrates that they're walking in the truth, which ultimately means that they are remaining faithful to the gospel. Walking in truth means they're remaining faithful into the, to the gospel, both in what they believe and in how they behave. What they believe. He says, you're clinging to the truth that saved you. You continue to believe in the truth that saved you. You continue to cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ that says you are a sinner dead in your transgressions, but you've been made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ and through your faith in his sacrifice. He says you're still clinging to believing in this gospel that saved you. And he's celebrating with them because they have right beliefs. And I think the order in which he points these things out is really important. They're walking in truth. They have right beliefs. They're clinging to the right gospel. They're clinging to the true gospel that saved them and continuing to commit to it. But also they're having right behavior. And here it expresses itself in the primary form of them loving one another. Christians loving Christians. He says, this is the way that your right belief, a way that your right belief is expressing itself. It's showing itself in the way that you love one another. He's affirming them because they care about each other. They're loving one another actively and it's all spurred on from the fact that they have believed the right things about Jesus. What he's suggesting here, I believe, is that truth and love are inseparable from one another. The truth and love are inseparable from one another. Now, I think sometimes this is a hard thing for us to get our mind around and primarily it's because there's only been one good example of it in history, right? So what we do sometimes is we're like, come on, politicians, truth and love together. Come on, superstars that have a lot of followers, truth and love together. Come on, teachers, come on, coaches, come on, coworkers, come on, bosses. Man, put truth and love together. We're looking in the wrong places for truth and love. Why? Because one place in history, Jesus on the cross, truth and love. We'll find it there, I promise, every time, church. We will find truth and love meet at the cross every time. And here he's suggesting that truth and love are inseparable. He's saying you cannot truly walk in truth without truly loving people. You cannot truly love people without actually walking in truth. He's saying these two things are inseparable. They go together. And that's hard for us to understand because we're not accustomed to seeing it. You know, we all know people, right, that are high on love and low on truth. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those are, those are the people that like, you know, you're at work and somebody keeps snacking your snags, uh, snacking your snags. My word, my words today, y'all. Somebody keeps snagging your snacks is what I was trying to say. Somebody keeps taking your food. 
keep taking it out of the fridge even though you wrote your name on it. And you don't say anything to them because you're like, I don't want conflict in the workplace. Like, I'm just going to let my stomach growl and get through the day. Right? How I love, low, and truth. I don't want to deal with the problem. In a more real way, right? Real, real, real level like here, okay? The, The biggest issue which shows up with this is those people that listen to the name of Jesus be mocked, ridiculed, sit back in the name of love. Well, if truth and love are inseparable, then we should see both in those circumstances. Now, the same thing can happen. We can flip the, the scale a little bit here, right? People that are, that are high on truth and low on love, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna call anybody out, but some of you, when you walk in the room on Sunday morning, now for you, you walk in, if you're watching online, listen, Nobody's doing this to you because you get your seat as it is every Sunday. But for those of you that came in the room today, you know what I'm talking about. You've walked into church one Sunday and somebody's sitting in your seat and you give them that high on truth, low on love look. You know what I'm talking about? You give them that high on truth, low on love thought. Don't say anything necessarily, right? Maybe you do. On On a more serious note, right? The metaphorical hit somebody upside the head with the Bible idea. You know, I, I think, and I've been this person. If I'm being honest, I've been this person, okay? I think why some people love to watch for the falsehood in other people. I think sometimes we're not interested in just hearing people or looking for truth. We're looking for falsehood because we want to tell them they're wrong, which there's a place for telling people they're wrong, Okay? But I think sometimes we major on the falsehood because really we're trying to hide our own insecurities behind the truth. Those folks that are high on truth and low on love, I, I feel you because I've been you. And let, let, let's walk into, let's come into the light. Right? He says here that truth and love are inseparable. John Stott, old, no longer living pastor uh, from Europe, he, he once said that love, love is strengthened by truth. And truth, right, it's softened by love. Truth is hard if it doesn't have love connected to it. And love is weak if it doesn't have truth connected to it. These two things are inseparable, right? They're inseparable. And here's the thing. Sometimes we want, to, we want them to exist in isolation of one another, right? It's sort of like some of you have been there. If you're parents, right, if your kid has ever requested a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, all right, and you make the sandwich up, right, and you, you put it together and you're getting ready to cut the edges off of it or whatever special request your kid makes or whatever, all that kind of stuff, all right? And they go, ah, Dad, I actually just wanted a peanut butter sandwich. You ever tried to pull those things apart? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't give them just a peanut butter sandwich from what you've just made. Those things cannot be taken apart. It can't be dissected. It can't be separated at this point. God has said that truth and love come together in Jesus. That's where we find it for ourselves and that's where we find the hope to show it to others. It's in Jesus. And he says, if you're gonna walk in truth, it's right belief and right behavior. It's high on truth, 
high on love, not low on both or high on one, high on both truth and love. And it will express itself. If we are committed to the truth of God, it will express itself in love in many ways. But here at least we see that at least in love. He says, walk in truth. And then he says to watch for lies in the second half of this letter. He begins in verse seven. He says this, he says, for, now for, right? I'm gonna pause for a second. That's a connecting word that he uses here. What he does is right here, he's saying, hey, listen, okay, everything I just told you, the reason I just told you to walk in truth, the reason I just celebrated that you're walking in truth, the reason I just reminded you of the importance of high truth, high love, the reason I just reminded you of the importance of right belief, right behavior is because of what I'm about to tell you. He's saying here, everything I just told you, walk in truth, is because of this. What is it? Because many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. They're a deceiver because of what they do. They seek to deceive. They're an antichrist because their motivation is against Jesus. And he says they've gone out into the world. In verse eight, he says, watch yourselves. The most explicit statement in this entire letter is those words, watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Give him any greeting. Remember your house, he's talking to a local church. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Here, what we find is that John is, is suggesting that there's danger around them. There's danger lurking around them. And the form it's taking is these deceivers, these false teachers, these people that are not doing what he just affirmed in them. He had just affirmed that they're walking in the truth. And right here he's saying, hey, you gotta watch out though because there's these people around you that are not walking in truth. Matter of fact, they're adding to the truth. They're taking away from the truth. And he says, watch out for them because they're deceiving. They're seeking to deceive others of what? Of the true gospel. This is why he emphasizes the, the connection between Jesus, the son and the father early in, in, verse, in verse three or two or three. And then here in verse nine, he does it again. He connects the father and the son. He reminds them and warns them that there's people that are adding to what Jesus did. The problem with these deceivers is not just you know, small little things that they were doing, the houses they lived in or the cars they drove or whatever. It wasn't that. The issue with them is they were teaching things contrary to the gospel. It was a counterfeit gospel that they were presenting to the world. And he says, you must watch out the most Emphatic statement he makes in the entire letter is watch yourselves. He says, guard yourselves. Watch for these liars and watch for their lies. And then he goes further and he says, don't receive them. Now, now I wanna be clear. What he doesn't say here is that you should treat them like trash. He's saying that, yes, that these people are wrong and they're teaching a false gospel and you ought not enable them or support them in their efforts to do that. God would never give us direction or instruction on something that contradicts something else he said. 
which is the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joys, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So he's not telling them to not be kind. He's not telling them to not share the gospel with these people. He's not telling them not to sit down over a cup of coffee and, and have a conversation and share the gospel. No, no, no. He's saying don't support or enable their message that is contrary to the gospel. Don't give them money. Don't buy their books. Don't enable their efforts to share this false gospel. So he says, as you watch out for lies, you have to understand that you must be on guard. You must be on guard. He says, walk in truth and watch for these lies. Be on guard against these lies. The only way you can be on guard is if you're secure in the truth. We gotta be walking in truth in order to see the lies. We gotta be walking in truth in order to identify those lies and be able to deal with them as they come. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna take the next few minutes and I wanna get super practical. Okay, super practical, like really street level here for a few minutes, okay? And I want us to talk about, if he says walk in truth, watch for lies, this is the idea that we ought to guard ourselves And I would go so far as to say, guard our families, our children, our church family. We ought to guard ourselves. How in the world do we do that? How do we do that? How do we guard ourselves? Well, when it comes to the personal side of this, an individual, what this looks like at least is guarding our eyes, guarding our ears, guarding our hearts and minds. As an individual, I should be committed as I'm walking in truth and watching for lies that I should be committed to guarding my eyes and my ears, my mind, my heart. I should be guarding those things. So how do I do that, right? Well, Well, think about it like this, right? When it comes to guarding our eyes, when it comes to guarding our eyes, that we should have control over what we look at. We should, we should do things that help control the things that we might be exposed to visually. Okay, the failure to do this is why pornography, in part, is why pornography is rampant in our world. People, men and women, refuse to guard their eyes. There's a heart issue there too. But they refuse to guard their eyes. This is why some people will turn on Netflix and four or five, I don't know, six hours later, wake from this comatose state, having just filled their mind with trash and wasting an unbelievable amount of time because we don't guard our eyes. This is why we spend hours and hours, right, this arthritis-inducing scrolling and double-tapping and swiping that we do, because we have no limits. We don't guard our eyes. This is why when we're feeling, and I wanna, this is a real thing, okay? When we feel overwhelmed, maybe with anxiety, we feel this temptation, well, let me just Google, how do I get over my anxiety? And whatever blog or book pops up first, we hit add to cart or buy now. And we end up through our eyes by reading, filling our minds and our hearts with things that don't help us because they're telling us that we can get out of that pit ourselves. I'm gonna tell you, if you're in a pit, you ain't getting out on your own. You gotta have somebody from the outside that reach down, right? We fill our minds through our eyes with all kinds of ungodly and untrue things. So we have to guard our eyes. So how do we do that? Well, put into your eyes things that are gonna remind you of what is good and true and holy and honorable and pure and worthy of praise. Read the Bible. It's a great place to start. 
If you're not sure how to fill your, through your eyes, to fill your mind and your heart with what is true and what is uh, in line with the gospel, start with the Bible. Start with the Bible, right? Have people in your life that will hold you accountable. Draw bright lines around your use of technology. Every, I think it's a normal just Apple default, right? But I get a, a, a message every single Sunday morning at about 9:10, right after the first worship service has started, that tells me how much screen time I averaged per day this past week. Opportunity for conviction. And I need to guard that. I need to limit that. I don't need to spend two and a half hours a day staring at my phone. Even if some of it is work. Two and a half hours of it probably wasn't. Put limits around these things. Draw bright lines. Use your time in different ways. Don't just veg out. We have to guard our eyes. And this isn't about laws. This, this isn't, a, this is about loving God. This, this isn't about guilt, it's about grace. The grace that God has given us to love him above all else. We also need to guard our ears, right? Yeah, I think the reason, one of the reasons maybe why, maybe I'm just simple-minded, but one of the reasons why, you know, your eyes and your ears, what goes in them influences what you think about so much is quite honestly, they're just really close to your brain, I think. Right? They're really, really close. There's nothing else closer to your brain than your eyes and your ears. So what we watch and what we listen to influences what we think about, big time. Right, so how do we guard our ears? Well, here's the deal. Music shapes us. It shapes us. Way more than we probably give it credit for. Now, I'm not the guy that says, if you, don't, if you listen to a song that doesn't have the word Jesus in it 17 times or more, your mind's gonna rot, okay? I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is that you do a little assessment of what you do listen to. Does it glorify things that are contrary to the gospel? Does it glorify the idea that you can be satisfied by just sleeping with a bunch of people or with anybody other than your spouse? Does it glorify the idea that satisfaction and hope and security are found in getting a bunch of money? Does it glorify the idea that you can be the king of your world, that you can reign supreme? Well, if it does, then you're filling your mind with lies that are contrary to the gospel. We get things that come in in other ways too, right? It's not always music, All right? Think about your drive time. What are you listening to? Some of y'all like talk radio, or maybe some of you like talk television. I don't know. Podcasts. You know, if what you're listening to is, is not celebrating the image of God in people, but is actually the only image it's assigning to anybody is a bullseye so you can take them to the gun range and shoot them, then it's not filling your mind with things that are beneficial. It's, it's hurting your mind and your heart, not helping. You know, the way this shows up is in our conversations, Right? Now, sometimes we'll call ourselves an innocent bystander in conversation. Sometimes we're a little more active participants. But I will tell you, church, that there is no place in the kingdom of God for gossip and slander. And when we sit in a conversation, maybe we participate, maybe not. But when we sit idly by and don't either remove ourselves from that conversation or step in and say, hey, I don't feel like that's fair or godly. Because that person was made in the image of God. Have they failed? Maybe. 
but they're made in the image of God. And the Jesus that I know gave me hope when I was in that state. You know, gossip and slander, this is when we listen, when we expose ourselves to these things, it distorts our mind and our heart. We're not walking in truth. We're walking in lies. See, I think some Christians, we are so, we enjoy walking in lies and occasionally looking for truth, right? We walk in lies Monday through Saturday and then Sunday morning for a couple hours, we look for truth. It ought to be that we're walking in truth and surveying the land that we're living in so that we can identify the lies and not support them. Another way that we have to guard ourselves is to guard our hearts and our minds. The Bible repeatedly says that at the center of the person is the heart. And out of it, specifically it says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, which I think we can principalize to a degree and say that what we say and what we do and what we think all derives, it all finds its genesis, it births out of our hearts which means we need to be guarding our hearts above all else. According to Paul, right, the way that we do that is by rejoicing in what God is doing and praying. Then he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We have to guard our hearts. Well, here's the thing. Our heart is a, it's like a vessel, and it's always full, right? If you say your heart is empty, it's, it's never empty. It just may be full of the wrong things. Okay, and so what happens is sometimes we try to not fill our hearts with bad things, but we never fill them with good things. And you know what happens? It's like this little like, this little inflow in the bottom of our heart and it keeps filling back up with the same things until we replace them. And so we can't just stop the bad things going into our heart. No, we've got to feed it with good things, which means we need more truth We need more of one another. We need more prayer. We need more rejoicing in the work of God. We've got to fill our hearts. That's how we guard our hearts is we fill our heart with truth. This is how we walk in truth. We have to walk in truth in order to watch for lies. And we do that by guarding our ears, our eyes, our minds, our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. Everything that we do comes out of our hearts. But here's the thing. This isn't just an individual sport. This is a team game, right? We weren't called to just, man, guard ourselves and then just, you know, sit in a closet and hide from the world. No, 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 no. We do this together. And there's a couple of contexts that that plays out. One is the family and one is the local church, right? And so in the family, well, what does that look like? Well, the parents that we just challenged this morning to faithfully lead their children to follow hard after the heart of God, what does that look like for them? For those of us in the room, others that were not on this stage this morning that are parents, you watching online, moms and dads, those of you that are parents, here's the deal. We have a responsibility as we raise our children to guard their eyes and their ears and their hearts and their minds and train them to be able to do that themselves one day. How do we do that? Well, it's easy to identify some ways that you don't. (laughs) You put a smartphone in the hand of an eight-year-old. Don't. It's not gonna produce anything good. Now, there's lots of parameters and guidance and all that kind of stuff you can give and all those things, but at the end of the day, is that helping train their eyes and their ears and their hearts and their minds? You know, I remember when I was a kid and I played video games. I either played by myself or with the person that was sitting next to me. Right? Today's video games aren't an Atari or a Nintendo. 
Some of you younger people in the room are going like, what does this mean? <laughs> Google it. Atari. Ask your mom, your dad. That little console that sits beside the TV is actually a gateway into a network of people whom you have no idea who they are. So they're having real-time, real-life conversations and interactions with potentially, now some of you do a really good job of guarding this, people you have no idea who they are. You have no control over what they say or how they talk or what they talk about. We have to guard the minds and the ears and the eyes and hearts of our children. We have to carefully do this. Part of what we do this is what we spend our time on as a family. Right, a family time looks like everybody's staring at a screen and put it down. We have to train our children in the way they should go is the way the principle goes so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Don't, the, the answer to training them in the way they should go, it's not, it's not a map on their iPad. It's a path found only in the Bible. So we ought to be giving them and feeding them truth so that we're training them so that when they grow old, they know how to guard their hearts and their minds and their eyes and Christ and truth. They know how to walk in truth. They know how to watch for lies. The other context that this, I think, can be pointed out in is the church family, right? <laughs> the church family. We ought to be helping one another in this effort of guarding ourselves and watching for lies. How do we do that? Well, the way that we talk to each other is a means of that. The way that we talk to each other, what we talk about. Are you pointing the people that you talk with in the family of God toward Jesus or something else? Are you reminding them of truth or of your greatness or somebody else's greatness or your kid's greatness? Well, what are you talking about with the people that you're talking with in the church? Right? This is why we have life groups and classes. We're going to be relaunching a whole slew of them in January. The reason we do this it's because we need community. We need people to help us to guard our eyes and ears and hearts and minds. We need people to help us to walk in truth and watch for lies. We need help in doing this. So we have to help one another. We do this together. We do this together. We, we help one another by doing this and we ask really hard questions and we give really honest answers. Well, we do this by when we're in the church, whether it's in a life group environment, a class environment, and you're watching a video teaching, or it's in this room and you're watching or hearing teaching from this stage. We compare or we contrast or we, we lean all that we hear onto the Bible and go, is it true? We have a standard and it is the Bible and everything you hear ought to run through that grid. This is how we guard one another to walk in truth and watch for lies. We need one another in doing this, church. We need one another. But I can't emphasize enough that if we're going to walk in truth and watch for lies, that we must know the truth. His name is Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> He's the king who's not up for re-election. And we, his children, his elect, we're not either. So as a child of God, that means I can have hope by walking in Jesus, by walking in truth. 
as a child of God, I can watch for lies because my standard is the one who met truth and love on the cross. As a child of God, I can rest when nothing else around me does. But I can't go without saying that apart from Jesus, we will not do that. Now, I think sometimes, and this is, I want to be real clear here. My hope for you is not that you walk out of here trying harder, but trusting more deeply in Jesus. Okay, because what you could do is go, man, I'm going to put all these safeguards in place, guard my eyes, guard my ears, guard my heart and my mind this week. Man, I'm going to put them in place for my kids. I'm going to help some other people put those guards in place and forgetting about Jesus. Church, don't do that. There's an order to things as God works. God's an order, a God of order, okay? And there's an order to things. And it's first walk in truth and then watch for lies. It's believe and then behave. It's trust and then obey. We must walk in truth in order to put these things in place in our lives. And the only way we can walk in truth is if we have a relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna encourage you, church family, to begin praying what it is that God wants you to do to more faithfully walk in truth, to more faithfully watch for the lies that are around us. But for some of you, I'm praying that God would show you that maybe the order's gotten a little mixed up. What you need is not to keep trying harder, trusting Jesus. You know, we need truth. <laughs> we need it for our sanity. We need it for salvation. And we need it for our security. And according to the Bible, we got it in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your people, God. As we gather together, we're reminded that you're good and you're with us and you're for us and, and you're faithful, God. And we can, we can stake our lives on all that your word says. And so this morning, God, I pray that we would relent from making efforts to fix ourselves and we would first trust in Jesus. And so for those in this room, God, who have not yet placed their trust in Jesus, recognizing that they are sinners separated from God, but through the grace of God and by faith in Christ and his work on the cross, paying the penalty that we deserve, we can have life, that we can walk in truth. And so, Father, I pray that our trust and faith would come before our efforts at obedience. God, for those of us in the room that know you and trust you and have walked with you, God, I pray that you would renew in us a love for your word, a love for your people. God, I pray that you would stir in us an affection for one another that follows your faithfulness, your truth, your word. God, I pray that you would show us what it is that we ought to do because of what we've heard. Your word is living and active, and so we ought to be as a result of it too. So move us, God, move us from where we are. Make us faithful. Give us a commitment to your word, a commitment to your people. Help us to walk in truth and to watch for lies to be high on truth and high on love, to get belief and behavior right, to show the world that there is a way that is better and his name is Jesus. God, may we stake our hope on that. 
Father, in these moments, would you move in us? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church family, we're going to stand and sing, and you can go ahead and stand. And as you do, I want to just remind you, as I just prayed, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is active. The Spirit of God is alive and moving. (laughs) So should we be. Which means this today, that we've heard the word of God, the spirit of God is among us and working even within us. There is a step for every single person in this room and watching online to take. I don't know what it is. Uh, The list is, is inexhaustible. I can't go through the list. But every one of us has a step to take. For those of you that have not trusted in Jesus, nothing else matters but that, that's your step. Those of us that have trusted in Jesus, And it may be joining a life group so you've got community. It may be serving to invest in the next generation. And I will tell you, parents, if you're struggling in this, maybe your next step is to go talk to our next-gen team. I know next-gen teams all over the country. I don't think there's a better one than the one we got. Go talk to them. Don't labor on your own. Don't labor in isolation as a parent. Journey together with the church family. Maybe if you're a believer in the room, your next step today is just to remind yourself of your daily need for the Word of God and to recommit to your pattern of that in your life. I don't know what's your next step. Every single one of us got one today. My prayer is during these moments, as we sing, that God would stir that next step in you. Word of God's living and active. When it has its way in us, we ought to be too. Amen, church? Let's sing together.